Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Andrew. And this is Josh. It is Monday, June 28th. We're recording a few days before usual for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> you know why. No, it's because the timing got weird, and I it's it's my fault, basically. That's, that's the excuse I needed. It's good, though. I like getting a head start. It gives me a couple more days to very slowly edit if I get distracted doing other things. Usually we couldn't do it this early because you'd have to, the movies, well, you know, in a real world scenario, you know, the movies aren't really locked in till like, I don't know. Yeah, well, usually we finalize programming Monday for the following Friday. So in a normal world right now, there still might be information coming in. So we would usually like to record on Tuesday so we could advertise all the movies we're screening. And on that note, on June 30th, so a mere couple days away from when we record this and very likely little in the past after you listen to this, if you're listening in a timely manner, we hit stage two here in Ontario, which doesn't really do anything for us in the cinema, except for get us a step closer to stage three. But what it does mean is we can have gatherings of five people indoors. So maybe this will be our last zoom cast maybe next week we can actually go sit in the cinema and do this uh, it's cold in there too we'll just crank the air conditioning yeah and yeah so you know some people have asked oh can you do a private function during stage two and we can't like that's not in the rule books <laughs> even if you were like it's a rental for five people we can't it's just that's how things have worked out the covid bosses would be like hell no yeah, Judge Dreads would come down on us. It would be a mess. But <laughs> it is good news if you just think that it just means three weeks after Wednesday. That means we could be back approximately three weeks after that. Do we have any idea what the capacity would be? There has been no official statement yet, except for, I don't even know where this rumor came from, that it's going to swap from a hard cap at 50 people to 25%. So that means for us, the joke is for us, that means 81.25 people. <laughs> it favors better for, I imagine, if you're a multiplex, I think that means you could have in 25% of people in each screen, I think. I don't know. Mm. I'm kind of more concentrated on our problems than thinking about that. But, <laughs> and I guess for, I mean, it's tough because like our friends at House of Target across the street, they're such a small venue. And when they have bands in, which was usually every weekend, it was, you know, shoulder to shoulder, like you're real mm -hmm. sardined in there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if it's a local band, maybe that might be still cost effective for them to do a 25% capacity thing. But as they were saying, you know, you have to get the band and load them in and have a technician there and have a sound technician and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know what that means for live events, but maybe that's my big hope is I, I do hope when we come back on that first day of stage three, the difference for us of 50 people versus 81 people, that's enormous. Mm -hmm. And three shows times 80 people is as good as the good old days for us almost. So that's not bad. Like it won't be 300 people for Saturday morning cartoons or the packed houses that were for Parasite. But if we're screening movies to 80 people every show, which won't happen, but if that's a good day, if we do that a couple times, that's much better for our bank account for sure. 
Absolutely. I mean, I guess even like one person would be better than what we've got now, but that's still not, yeah. that's not <laughs> great. I'm excited though. I haven't, geez, I don't know the last time I've been in the theater. Like I could just imagine that there's like cobwebs and stuff in there. I don't really believe that, but I'm just picturing it like a ghost town or something. Well, even the other day I was in and I just did a little sweep up and tidied up the caution tape actually because some of the caution tape had fallen down such a funny thing to clean but so the seats look a little bit more prim and proper and the good news for us is if it does magically hit 81 people at the end of july we don't have to really do anything because as our seats were taped off before with two meters in between what it was was leapfrogging a row and three seats were two meters so that meant it was very easy for us to kind of figure out that distance math. So now, even with these new rules, the seats as they are, there's actually about 100 seats up for grabs. So we don't have to do any hard math to figure out how to get more people in. We just leave it as it is and be like, yep, there you go, 80 people. You still have leg room, even if we're at capacity. Because yeah, Sam came in and cleaned up behind the screen. There's that common misconception that we actually have a backstage area with like green room and stuff like that. We do not. But now Sam has done this really great cleanup behind the screen. And we've got rid of some junk back there. So now there's a couch back there. So there's just enough room if the Rocky Horror kids are changing wardrobe or if we do have Greg Sestero dropping by, there's a couch. And so he can actually hide back there before coming out to do his introduction and that sort of thing. So that's a nice little thing that we've been able to do during these lockdown times. There's a couch back there. I didn't know that. I, I could have just been crashing there during movies. Yeah, so you can live there during the normal times if you're not worried about the ghosts. It's the Crisp and Glover couch. I don't know if that makes me more excited or scared now, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that Andrew's new place? Is that what he was talking about? He moved back there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like in The Jerk when Steve Martin gets a job at that Phillips station. <laughs> His boss is like, yeah, I got a nice place for you to stay. And it's like the utility room. <laughs> Poor Andrew. Oh, you'd much rather live behind a screen than uh, Phillips station, though, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> people come to matinees and they just see andrew walking out from behind the screen in a bathrobe holding a coffee yeah. mug yeah he's like <laughs> groaning and stuff you're like what hype and slippers <laughs> that'd be amazing you're like it's just andrew it's fine <laughs> sits down for an alvin and the chipmunk screening <laughs> uh, and it's like a 4g screening i guess he's like spilling coffee on you and stuff <laughs> <laughs> and while i was there so this is the interesting thing it's you know social media at its worst is the worst but the other day I was at the Mayfair when Sam was there and I had to change the marquee. So I was just doing some things. I finished tidying up the trailers, got them all moved from the balcony down to the poster room and had a trailer for Freddie Got Fingered. And so just kind of jokingly, I posted the picture on our social media saying, oh, we'll hang on to this for hometown boy Tom Green. And the next time he's here, he's welcome to come by and grab it. And moments later, Tom Green direct messages me and says, oh my God, thanks so much for reaching out. So kind of you. I would love to have that trailer if you don't mind passing it along to me. And he happens to actually be in town right now. He's been visiting his parents for lockdown quarantine time. And so he's here and he said, could I drop by sometime and get it? And I was like, oh yeah, of course. And he's doing uh, YouTube stuff as many stand-up comedians and talk show host type people are doing. So He's got his YouTube channel and he's in the midst of doing a documentary, I guess, about he's kind of on the road in a trailer traveling around. And that's what's brought him back from L.A. to Ottawa. 
So he asked if he could come in, if we could get the trailer on screen, and if he could record that for his documentary. I was like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. So I double-checked the rules. I just wanted to make sure not to be breaking any COVID rules, but especially as of Wednesday, that's going to be all fine to have us go in with Tom and record that. So kind of fun. It'll be a nice bit of publicity for us, and we might end up in a feature-length documentary about Tom Green. So that's kind of cool. That's awesome. That's so funny. Like, it would have been amazing if he messaged you and was like, yeah, I would love that. And you're like, oh, this was just a bit that backfired. Uh, we didn't actually want to give that to you. I sold it already. Yeah, this is uh, not a good bit. Well, and a number of people on, I think, Instagram and Twitter were basically like, if Tom doesn't want that, I'll buy it. And I got to say, no, Tom does want it. He <laughs> he put dibs on it. That's so funny. Like he must, the tone that I take from that is that he does not have a copy of it. Like he wouldn't have a, and why would he have a 35 millimeter copy, I guess? But like he wrote and directed it. So I guess maybe I thought that'd be something he might already have. Exactly. But you think of stuff like that for artists. And if I remember correctly, it was Universal. I think it was like a, you know, a big distributor who made that movie. 20th Century Fox. Or it was Fox. Okay, so Fox. So Fox is not going to give a 35 millimeter print to some filmmaker for a movie that they made 20 years ago. You would think it would be very nice of them to do so instead of destroying it. But <laughs> I imagine that there's no such thing as a 35 millimeter print of Freddy Got Fingered anymore. So he was super nice. He was so kind. He was so genuine about being really touched that we would reach out and offer that to him. And he said down the line, he would love to come in and do some stuff with us. So he's continuing to do more independent kind of projects. So especially in the near future, hopefully next year, he said he does plan to be around Ottawa just as he has been in the past years in his visits back home. I told him I always thought it would be fun to do live commentary over a film with an audience. So like Mr. Science Theater, but not riffing the movie, essentially. I thought it'd be fun to have him in and take some questions in advance and I can kind of host and he could be there and talk about the film and when it gets a certain scene be like oh somebody asked about this scene and so he seemed open to that idea so yeah so i think this will be a nice little thing of kick off maybe some events with tom green down the line and he has a big fan base and if anything else a whole bunch of people will be reminded of the mayfair or learn of the mayfair through this it's this nice little win-win situation thanks to the internet What's funny is, you know, that most people don't know is that we actually had an original poster from that movie as well. And a couple of years ago, a friend of mine is just, that is his favorite movie, bar none. It's just literally every year during his birthday, he, he uh, you know, he makes us watch it. But after the first, second time, it didn't become making us anymore. And it was actually something I started to look forward to watching. And so I basically begged you to let me give my friend this poster because it would just mean the world to him. And I got it framed and gave it to him. And you made me promise that if we're ever able to get Tom Green to do this screening, that we have to bring the poster back in so that we have a poster for it. And so I was telling my friend, I was like, you know, good news, bad news scenario. It looks like this, you know, we're at least he's going to come into the theater. But I was like, you know, they might need to get that poster back eventually. <laughs> yeah. But it's nuts. Like, I can't even believe you, you told me about this. And I kind of checked in on Twitter. And I, it's it is really funny just how it's just like this little this little, you know, piece of nothing to most people, but just to have us have that and retain that for so long for what was obviously a very personal project for him is just such a I mean, it's the beauty of film, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember. I don't know if Freddie got fingered actually screened at the Mayfair 20 years ago. It might have, but it's neat that that was sitting in the bunker underneath 
the projection booth for 20 years. And if not for this big cleanup that we've been able to do thanks to COVID, it would have sat there for another 20 years, probably. Mm -hmm. So it's and and it's just nice that this little nice thing we can do for a hometown boy, because Gwen's younger than I am. So she's not super familiar with Tom Green, because I was saying how like when I was in high school, he was doing his essentially his Wayne's World, like he was doing his Rogers 22 stuff. Mm -hmm. And then just exploded like the show on MTV, an appearance in Charlie's Angels, Freddie got fingered. He did that heist movie with Jason Lee that Bruce McCullough directed. Stealing Harvard. Stealing Harvard. Yeah. So he was doing all this stuff. So he really peaked. And then in the years since then, he's kept very busy doing talk shows and stand up comedy and all kinds of stuff like that. It's like any artist, you can point at their peak and definitely in the early 2000s there. He was the guy, you know, he was comedy for this young generation. So now that he's a few years older and kind of calmed down a bit, I think, and doing more of the talk show vibe and doing more of the documentary vibe, it's neat that we'll be able to participate in this documentary just because I, just as a gag, I really didn't expect to hear back from him. I thought maybe he was living in Los Angeles still and that he got back to us within a minute and was like, oh my God, I want that. (laughs) So that's pretty cool. It's so ridiculous. We've sort of like jokingly talked about it for years, but it is funny because like it's it's just such a such a little a little thing. But like that is so cool. I almost didn't believe you when you told me about it. Like it's it's a pretty great gag, and it makes me wish that we'd been tagging all these other writer directors of all the trailers you've been finding. Well, that's what I like about Twitter at its best is that a couple years ago I made some tweet and tagged Mark Hamill in it. It was some Mark Hamill related tweet, and he liked it and he didn't even respond, but he liked it. And then I responded. I was like, this is why Twitter is great because if you would have told tiny me that Mark Hamill would have read something that I wrote and appreciated it, it would have blown my mind. And then he liked that as well. And I couldn't help it. And this was a few years ago. And I couldn't help but thinking that he was sitting in a director's chair on the set of the last Jedi looking at my tweet and that's kind of cool you know that's kind of a neat thing to have that interaction with people and over the years we've had that just little things like that with edgar wright or ryan johnson to bigger relationships that i've been able to form with other podcasts and people like that that down the line if i bump into these folks at a film festival or a convention it'll feel like meeting friends even though we've only had this online relationship yeah i love twitter for that and yeah so and Today, Gwen and I just got, it's pretty incredible. We got our second 5G shots upped from September 9th to July 9th. Oh, wow. So a full two-month early advance shot. So it's pretty cool. So that kind of changes plans. My mom is getting her second shot today. That's good for Ontario. I think a lot of people are going to get their second shots months earlier than anticipated. And then the rollout for that, Like, I cannot speak of this. I don't know what it's going to be, but in terms of masks, in terms of distancing, it seems like we're tiptoeing towards that amazing future world sooner than we thought. Yeah, absolutely. And and as a side note on the Tom Green thing, it's pretty funny. I actually forgot that his former sidekick, Glenn Humplick, had sponsored one of our urinals. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He made a tweet about hoping that the urinal makes an appearance on the documentary footage that he shoots. It has to. I'm going to make sure this does. Yeah, it's too funny. If I point that out to Tom Green, I'm sure he will want to get a shot of that. And I replied to Glenn as well. And I was like, 
it's a national landmark inside of a national landmark. You have to document this for cinematic history, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I can't, you know, I'd be shocked if he doesn't use that particular urinal as well, knowing, <laughs> knowing him. And, but, you know, I guess we don't want to spoil it in advance. Yeah, we don't want to get our hopes up. No, no, it's already too much. I mean, geez, I can't, I can't believe it. Like, we're already blowing up and we're not even open yet. Yeah, and Tom retweeting that photo of me holding the Freddy Got Fingered trailer got hundreds of more likes than a usual random Mayfair tweet. So, and that could be a lot of even locals who maybe don't come to the Mayfair or out-of-towners. And, and it's all good. Like, it's all a good domino effect because maybe then they might go, oh, hey, they have that virtual cinema. I'm going to rent a movie. Or, hey, they got that marquee. I'm Even though I live out of town, I'm going to rent their marquee. So it's all positive. It's all good. So yeah, despite the internet being evil, every once in a while, it, especially at the Mayfair, we can point to it and be like, no, no, it's good things happen as well. Yeah, before we started rolling, we noticed Andrew had a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood poster behind him. Of course. <laughs> and that I think we have a couple of more on hand doubles that Andrew might be able to take if he wants to really plaster his house with <laughs> posters. Give it a whole theme. But it made me think because today I listened to Quentin was on Marin, hot off the presses. I think it only went up today. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. I got to hear that. And I just happened to get to listen to it because I had some substitute at the Mayfair and I did dishes. So I made it through the whole hour episode. Here's the talking point for Andrew. This is really weird because on Marin, not to spoil it, but he pretty much sounded like he was joking about the retirement thing. But then on the exact same day, he did another interview where it sounds like he is going to retire. So do you have research on this? Do you think he's joking or not? Well, his whole point is he doesn't want to be an old man director where he's just doing movie after movie and he starts to lose his skill set, I guess. Yeah. But he's never been like absolute about how many movies he's going to do. But I think he just likes the idea of having a 10 film filmography, but maybe he'll do 11 films or 12. So, you know, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. On Marin, he kind of sounded like he hinted that he was misquoted a couple times. Plus, you got to think, not to call him an old man, but he's in his late 50s. So say if his next movie is a couple years away, that's going to come out when he's 60. Yeah. Which is retirement age for many a people. So it's it's not like he's like a 25-year-old saying he's going to retire. But Mark Marin loved the new book. It got me more interested to checking it out. Yeah, my coffee's arriving tomorrow. I'm really excited. Oh. So that's your day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, seriously. But yeah, Marin said he, uh, not even just because feeling obligated because Quentin was coming on, but he said he just breezed through it. He said it was a, a super good read. So yeah, I got to check the library to see if through their digital services, if they get a copy of the audiobook, because I really want to listen to the audiobook. Jennifer Jason Lee does the narration. You need to do a podcast where you read out the book so that Josh and I can just listen to that instead <laughs> of actually doing it ourselves. Yeah. It's really good. And you can stop halfway through and be like, oh, this is a really good part of the movie. I really like this part. I don't know how big it is, but I listened to The Living Dead, the George Romero book oh, yeah. that came out, co-written by the writer who worked on Shape of Water and Troll Hunters and a bunch of other cool projects. But Man, it was good. It was super good. But like, it was a big Stephen King size book, right? So I'm not exaggerating. The audiobook was something like 23 hours or something like that. 
you can't really listen to it in one go, but I don't know how big Once Upon a Time is, but I know Quentin likes to have longer scripts. And plus, since this is a book that isn't limited by saying you got to keep it under three hours or whatever, I think it's pretty epic sized book as well. Yeah, I think it's like 400 pages or something. Oh, see, but that's nothing though. That That's not too bad. <laughs> that's, well, it depends. <laughs> it depends on your point of view. Maybe they're huge pages. <laughs> yeah. And is there... I think there's still the hint that he might do the uh, like the Western miniseries somehow. Hopefully. Oh, that'd be I think that'd be fun. I think that'd be really cool just to do like even if he just did one, like just like a 25 minute or a 45 minute episode of a 1950s campy, awesome black and white Western with Leo DiCaprio. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, if he just does TV, then it's still it doesn't count against his 10 movie things. We can just keep doing TV instead and not retire. He's talked about doing like a miniseries. He said he almost did Inglorious Bastards as like an HBO miniseries. So who knows? And I think it's shelved, but there was that talk of him doing a Star Trek script at least. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be awesome. But like I think about him talking about old men, but then I can't help but think of Sidney Lumet, who I love so much. And I think he was around 83 or 84 when Before You Know You're Dead came out. Yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. Like, that's a great movie. So there is precedent of old people making cool movies. Clint Eastwood, man. Like, good Lord. Look at his filmography, <laughs> his like, age versus filmography. He's 112 years old. Uh, ser- oh, God. <laughs> Corman's still going. And he's like, I can't even remember how old Roger Corman is. Like, 95, I think. Yeah. Quentin's argument might not work well with Roger Corman since Roger Corman has just made bad movies for... <laughs> 50 That's years true. That, I mean, he might have 10 good ones though so yeah no offense hopefully he doesn't listen to this interesting to see if he does say because it's good publicity like this is the 10th movie this is it we've had so many artists do that whether it be someone like jay-z going like this is my last album <laughs> and then he comes back it'll be interesting to see if he sticks to his guns but then i think he would keep very busy i wouldn't be surprised if he just wrote more books i know he's tipped his toe into doing some comic books so he might do something more like that and he would just be like interviewed in documentaries and do speaking engagements over and over so i don't think he'd be sitting at home bored if he just said like yeah at 60 or 65 i'm done it'd be interesting if he just went back to writing yeah because i mean there was there was several like screenplays well he's talked about that writing novels and stuff so Mm -hmm. this could be the beginning of that and then he could write a novel and then one of his pals, like Robert Rodriguez, could be like, hey, can I take this and make it into a movie? <laughs> Man, I'm looking at Andrew. Have you ever seen My Best Friend's Birthday? The movie, not my not my friend. I have, yeah. I, I didn't see you at his birthday, but yeah. Is it good? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like there's only uh, like 40 minutes of it available on YouTube. Okay. But there's, a, there's actually a really good book that came out about the making of that. And Tarantino's interviewed in it. It's really cool. It's all about his beginnings as a filmmaker when he tried to make his own like gorilla indie movie. So that was his like pre reservoir dogs that didn't quite work out. Yeah. That's when he was working at the video store and he tried making his own 16 millimeter feature film. I think they finished making it. It's just, he calls it his film school because when he finished it and looked at the footage, he's like, Oh my God, this looks terrible. (laughs) And I think he wasn't happy with the result, but if you go on YouTube, you know, the surviving, there's like a kind of a 40 minute cut of it of scenes. You can see his, his first efforts as a filmmaker. That's always interesting stuff like that. That just doesn't work out. And he's in it too. He's, he's one of, he's one of the uh, actors in the film too. 
Man, was that about the time that he was on? Uh, was it Golden Girls that he was on? Yeah, roughly, roughly that time. Yeah, he had the big pompadour. That's amazing. Oh God, what a, what a weird and interesting career. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about nowadays versus, say, when Quentin did that sixteen millimeter film. Is I went to film school and I had a great time. It was super fun. Got to work on some cool stuff. Meet some cool friends that I still keep in touch with. But I hate to argue against it because you know education is good and all that kind of stuff. But Nowadays, you can, with your phone, with your laptop, with some downloaded software, and your friends, really learn the craft of making movies. And this is nothing new, but the stuff that's on DVD, audio commentary tracks, stuff in movie magazines and books, like there's enough education out there that you could really learn about how to make a movie. I think it's more valuable, and it's kind of what Sam Raimi and his friends did back in the day, of just make a ton of bad short films to learn the editing software, just to learn how the camera works, to learn how your phone camera works, to make friends, learn who likes doing sound more, learn who likes acting more. I think that's happening more nowadays versus the film school generation of Scorsese and Coppola and Lucas and those kind of guys where now you can just make your own short films. There's groups here in Ottawa who do short film festivals every year. And there's places like Saw and IFCO that are collectives where they have classes and equipment. And so despite people, when it happened, thinking digital was this big death of cinema, it's really helped with creativity with a much smaller budget and an easier way to make your movie. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I've always wanted to do. Like biggest dream probably was just pretty much to do what Lee's done and just you know use your weekends to have fun with friends more or less but you know make movies at your own pace and learn as you go kind of thing and it's i don't know if it's something i'll ever get to but i really love the creative aspect and the you know sometimes like failing is just as important as succeeding in that respect yeah you can really learn a lot i love the stories and the photos of baby sam raimi and bruce campbell and Robert Tappert and Ted Raimi, and they were kids. Like they were like, you know, 15, 16. And then you cut to 40 years later, and these guys are directing Marvel movies and producing horror films. And Ted Raimi's a character actor and all this stuff. And and you're like, oh, it worked. Their self-training worked in building their careers. Yeah. It's and what I find crazy is Sam Raimi's genre career in so many genres it's just insane like he's got a baseball movie like a crime movie spider-man you know evil dead like just it all like quick in the dead you know just it seems like he's tried almost every genre at this point yeah i love sam for that that he and bruce have said like ironically enough they're not even giant horror fans but they were good at that so they made a couple of them but yeah i do like that too that he's really got to be a bit of a journeyman director and and do a lot of different stuff because some filmmakers like george romero and wes craven they wanted to do other things and just kind of didn't have that opportunity for the most part. So it's nice nowadays when you see somebody get to do different things and not be pigeonholed to be like, nope, you get to do that for the rest of your life. Yeah, it really makes you wonder with something like Music of the Heart, you know, did that fail because it wasn't a good movie? Like, I haven't seen it, so I'm not saying it isn't, but did that fail because of that? Or did it fail because it's like, oh, Wes Craven directed this and you're like, oh, well, this isn't what I wanted from him. So it's like, it's almost like something can't fail on its own terms anymore it has to it, it lives by that name attached to it yeah and imagine if they hadn't have let the jaws guy direct schindler's list like it's <laughs> it's nice to tell different stories 
yeah, and that's, I mean, that's just bonkers to think of how young he was when he was making that, and that it actually worked at all. Okay, let's uh, start wrapping up with a couple of recommendations. Andrew, have you seen anything good in the last week or so? Did I talk about 8 Million Ways to Die before? I don't think so. I don't think so. A few weeks ago, I saw this movie. Tarantino's a big fan of this, and he spoke about it on a podcast recently, and I watched it. It's directed by, it's from 1987 or 1986. It's, it's uh Jeff Bridges and Andy Garcia. It's a private eye detective 80s neo-noir movie. Jeff Bridges plays a, an alcoholic private eye who's going after this killer pimp. Or not, it's not a killer pimp. It's this guy who, who killed a prostitute and he's trying to, he's trying to avenge her death based on a novel by Lawrence Block, who, who wrote all these a series of novels uh, with the Matt Scudder character, who Jeff Bridges plays. And Liam Neeson played him in a movie called uh, A Walk in the Tombstones. Oh, yeah. Anyway, th- this movie, it was a huge flop when it came out. Hal Ashby directed it. It was his last movie. Hal Ashby directed Harold and Maude and The Landlord, mm. a bunch of classic movies from the 70s being there with Peter Sellers. And this was his only crime movie, uh, thriller, basically. And it's a lot of fun. It's very 80s. It's very kind of sleazy detective. Neo-noirs is the best way to categorize it. It's a lot of fun. Kino Lorber put out a Blu-ray of it recently. And there's this really... Lee and I were talking about how hilarious this is. There's a scene where Andy Garcia is the bad guy and Jeff Bridges and him. There's a scene where they're talking and they have that tense moment together while they're eating snow cones. <laughs> Andy Garcia has got his goons with them and they're able to serve snow cones out of the trunk of his car. They've got like syrup and everything. And there's a scene where they're having like a confrontation while eating snow cones. <laughs> oh man, you sold me on this movie. So the snow cone scene alone is worth the price of admission. Jeff Bridges is excellent in it. Andy Garcia is excellent in it. It, it was like his you know, one of his first roles. And uh, yeah, highly recommended. It, it's got kind of a bad reputation because it was a huge flop, like I said, and it got terrible reviews. Cisco and Ebert dumped all over it. And Hal Ashby was fired in post-production and the producers kind of took over and compromised the movie. So, you know, it, it's got kind of a, a rough history to it, but it's definitely aged really well and well worth checking out. So, and I'm reading the novel now. <laughs> So this isn't really a recommendation per se, because I haven't seen a ton of movies in the last little while, but I did watch the long shelved, the new mutants movie that was recently released. And this movie, this, this poor, stupid movie was shelved for 50 different reasons. It was delayed because of the Disney thing. It was delayed because a movie like Deadpool 2 did too well, so they wanted to get out of the way. It was delayed because a movie like Dark Phoenix flopped. Then it went through rewrites. Then they weren't sure whether it was going to be a horror movie or a teen movie. So it's kind of a fascinating watch if you read a little bit about it because it just shows you how hard it is to make a movie, even if you have 20th Century Fox financing it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a terrible movie. I didn't love it. I didn't really like kind of the first half but especially the climax was really good, I thought, and watched it with Gwen, and she liked it more than I did. So maybe I was guilty of not liking it because I have a more of an attachment to the characters. But it's just another one of those 
fascinating stories of a movie that had a lot of buzz behind it. It was supposed to kick off a trilogy. Then now it's it's just not. It will not do that. And it's only 90 minutes. And especially for superhero movies and that kind of thing, that's very telling that they just whittled it down. So instead of a two-hour movie, it's just really bare bones. And it seems very small. Like there's not a lot of actors in it. And there's no crossover with the universe where I think there was supposed to be initially. But yeah, if you're a movie nerd and if you read a bit about it, and if you just have been waiting for this movie for the past four or five years, it's interesting to check out just to see that it has finally been released. So that's what I watched this week. The poor New Mutants movie. A 90-minute superhero movie. That's rare. (laughs) Sweet. Good movie I watched, Riders of Justice with Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, wow. Really good crime film. It's in Danish, I think. But yeah, really good. Some good comedy, good performances. And then the ridiculous thing I watched was Children of the Corn 2 and 3. (laughs) I had never seen. I'd only ever seen 1 and 5. Figure that out. Aren't there like genuinely like 8 or 9 of those? There's like 11, I think. Oh my God. They've rebooted it. There's a prequel. There's a reboot. There's a TV version. There's at least eight in a row, you know? So I'd never seen the other ones. And I was like, all right, I think Arrow just announced the first three they were putting in a box set. I've heard the third one is good. And yeah, this the second one better than I thought. Not great. Third one, best of the series. I'm going to say, even though I haven't seen the series, it was just the effects by Screaming Mad George were really good. Like some really gory silly gross stuff so for that kind of movie it was definitely recommend recommendable <laughs> but you know <laughs> i'm not gonna say i'm a big fan of the franchise now you gotta watch the next seven i know believe me four and five are on deck i have to see if five is as forgettable as it was when i forgot about seeing it the first time okay so we're gonna wrap up for this week maybe next week we'll all get to leave our houses and be in the same room in the cinema and record our big comeback episode so that will be fun Stay tuned to our social media for updates. We'll let you know once we have our return date as soon as we know it. Be sure to check out our social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We have our virtual cinema going if you want to rent a movie and throw a couple bucks towards the Mayfair. And we look forward to having you back in the cinema within the next few weeks. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I'm glad my audio came back on before I talked about Shirt on the Corn. People wouldn't know the third one is worth watching. <laughs> the third one. I can't wait to tell Tom Green that I watched Children of the Corn 2 and 3. He'll be so interested. That'll be all you do in his documentary. Where is Sarah? You don't make the rules here today, baby. Jeff Bridges, star of Jagged Edge and Starman. You're going to blow the deal, man. Roseanne Arquette, star of Desperately Seeking Susan and Silverado. You got Sonny killed. They're in trouble. In love. For a half-assed hooker, you're an extremely arrogant woman, you know that? And in way over their heads. It's murder, prostitution, drugs, and passion. Announcing the video cassette release of a sensational detective thriller. Now cut it loose! What? Hope we love you, baby. Anything can happen when there's eight million ways to die. 